1: Mm. It's a most interesting experiment, Watson. Pray do examine the snake. Uh, I'd rather not, if you don't mind, Holmes. My
2: experience in Afghanistan and that dreadful case of the speckled band have taught me to have a healthy respect for
1: snakes. Yes, but look at it. It's dead. (laughs) Well, at least it has the appearance of being so. A snake, like some other reptiles and animals, hibernates. There is no pulse. The temperature of the body is extremely cold, yet it is alive. This is most interesting. To my scientific mind, man is still an animal, so why can't we bring about this condition in our fellow men? Professor Julius Waldhausen is calling to see me this morning. He claims that it is possible.
2: Present the stories of Sherlock Holmes,
3: the the Experiment.
2: The autumn of 1887 was grey and gloomy. The trees knew winter would be dark and bitter. They shed their leaves early, and the cold drizzles swirled the dead masses into the gutterings of the rooftops, into the blocked drains and dirty manholes of the London streets. It was a depressing time. A time for crackling log fires and indoor comforts. On one such dreary morning, I came down to breakfast to find Holmes seated at his workbench, Mrs. Hudson's excellent meal lay neglected upon the table. Holmes was hard at work on the body of a snake.
3: Mm,
2: yes, as I say. Most interesting. And take a look, Watson. You must agree with me. Well, I think I prefer my breakfast, Holmes. Surely you can leave that wretched reptile for a cup of hot coffee.
1: Uh, and by all means, Watson. At least I'm sure that the creature will not slither away. Uh, But you haven't answered my question. Do you think it possible to place a human being in a state of suspended life? As a medical man, I must say that I do not, Holmes. It's entirely against nature. One could argue that pain-killing with anaesthetics is exactly the same, Watson. Yet they're making enormous strides in such practices. Ah, that uh, that is the doorbell. It must be my visitor, Professor Waldhausen. Well, it's time for you to answer my second question. Are you interested in hearing this man's theories? Well, I'm
2: certainly not leaving until I've finished my breakfast. I assume you will not be above offering him a
1: cup of coffee? Of course not. And keep your ears open, Watson. I would like your opinion.
4: There's a gentleman here to see you, Mr. Holmes. No card. Couldn't catch the name. Professor, somebody around.
0: Professor Balthausen, yes. Show him in, please, Mrs. Hudson. Very good, sir. Uh, this way thank, uh, thank you very much ah mr. Sherlock Holmes and uh, this must be uh, the well-known physician dr. John
2: Watson oh, that is so good morning to you professor now,
1: pray to be seated there's a coat rack near the door for your wet I ah. come near the fire oh. would you like to join us at breakfast
0: I have already eaten but a, a cup of coffee would be most pleasant oh, allow me please make yourself at home I'm afraid the place isn't very tidy. <laughs> well, compared to my own home, it is neatness itself. I am afraid I drive my two assistants to much anger with my vase. You have assistants? And they help you in the experiments which you wrote to me about? Uh, yeah, yeah, that is correct. Ah, I see you have this sleeping snake curled up on this tray on the table. You are interested in suspended life, Mr. Holmes? In hibernation of animal life,
1: Yes. yes. No one can doubt the existence of such patterns, but I know nothing of your experiments with human beings.
0: <laughs> I, I am no monster, Mr. Holmes. I I have made no such experiments. I, I am no Frankenstein from the pages of Mrs. Shelley's novel. <laughs> I have carried out many tests on many pets, cats, dogs, and, and even farm animals. I have had them declared legally dead by veterinary surgeons. And then, much to their amazement I have, by a simple injection of a serum, brought them back to life with no harm done whatever. I think it is possible that this can be done with human beings. (laughs) Does that amaze you, Dr. Watson? Oh, frankly, yes, it does. While keeping an open mind upon the subject, I must say I can't see
2: any valid reason for wishing to bring this about. I mean, what circumstances could it be of use?
0: (laughs) Travel travel? Oh, yes. One of these days, man will travel out into what we call space. I believe within a hundred years, we shall have set foot on the moon. Oh, come
2: now. That really is something from the pages of a novel. That will never be possible. What do you say,
1: Holmes? As you say, Watson, it's best to keep an open mind. But uh, to return to your theories, Professor, you feel that man cannot only conquer space, but also time? You believe that one can suspend life and return from the dead, say, a year later, without having aged in any way?
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I am sure of this. There are very few men of your precise knowledge and imagination in London, Mr. Holmes. I, I invite you to examine my experiments at any time. My home and laboratories are at Harrow Lodge, main road hatch end. My assistants are Dr. John Rossiter and his wife, Eileen, both qualified scientists. They are helping me with my work. I should be ready for a demonstration in ten days, a fortnight. Will you both attend? I should be most honored if you would. Do say you agree?
2: Holmes assured the professor that we would attend any future demonstration of his experiments, and I left them to do my daily rounds. Frankly, I thought the old fellow a rather dangerous eccentric. Holmes reserved his judgment and continued his own studies. I was far too busy with my work to bother much about the professor, and soon forgot his invitation, until one day... Oh, oh, goodness gracious me, what a tragedy... Oh, Professor Valhausen has been found dead. Oh, I hope he's died in his sleep. Natural causes and there's no suspicion of foul play. You read this, Holmes? I have indeed, Watson.
1: I sent a telegram of condolence to his home and a request that I be allowed to visit his assistants, Dr. Rossiter and his wife, this very afternoon. If you're not overworked, perhaps you'd care to accompany me. <laughs> I agree with you that if this be a natural death, then it's extremely sad news for... I sincerely believe that the professor was on the verge of an outstanding discovery with his experiments. Yes, well, shall we try to find out more, Watson?
2: As always, when requested to accompany Sherlock Holmes and any of his investigations, I managed to find the time to do so. And because the weather was so inclement, we took a four-wheeler straight from Baker Street to Hatch End. It was a blustery, uncomfortable journey, and I wondered if it really was worthwhile. We arrived at Harrow Lodge to find Rossiter and his wife, Irene, in a state of near despair.
4: I'm, I'm sorry to welcome you like this, Mr. Holmes.
1: It's, it's been a very great shock. My wife and I are at our wit's end. It, it was the one thing we did not expect. Uh,
4: the professor was not a young man, but he seemed in good health. We were all working so happily. There was so much at stake. And, and to have something like this end at all. It uh,
1: must have been very upsetting for you both. Uh, tell me, you were privy to all the professor's theories? To most of his experimental work, yes. We worked as a team. But there were a great deal of his latest ideas that he wrote in German. Just notes, you understand. We were simply here to follow his instructions. I felt all the time that he was progressing beyond himself and urged him to rest. Perhaps it was overwork. You had a doctor? The death certificate, what did it say? Well, it, it just says heart failure. A natural death in his sleep.
4: We neither of us have a regular doctor. We, we called the police. They took over... The police surgeon assured us it was a simple case of heart failure. Well, at least he didn't suffer.
1: He had no near family? Wife? Children? Any relatives? No one.
4: I believe there was a sister in Australia or South Africa many years ago, but he'd lost touch.
1: Then can I assume that you are to inherit from his death? Oh, my dear Holmes, I happen to know all about the professor's estate. It's nothing. This house is mortgaged up to the hilt. There are a few sticks of furniture which belong to Eileen and myself, but his finances are negligible. In a word, he was penniless. There may even be a few deaths. That will be up to us to clear up. We shall try our best. I see. Well, I presume that he had a lawyer and that all the funeral arrangements have been taken care of. Oh, oh yes. Thompson and White in Half Moon Street, London, handle all these affairs. I actually recommended Thompson myself. And the funeral is to be held the day after tomorrow. I hope you can find time to attend. It's in Great Harrow Church. I shall certainly do my best. Uh, now, if you're sure I can be of no more help? I'm, I'm afraid not. But thank you for your sympathy we do appreciate it don't we dear yes
4: of course there's nothing you or anyone else can do after all we can't bring him back
1: no can we good day to you mr Holmes, dr watson and thank you again for calling like this well they've gone do you think we did the right thing in keeping our secret yes yes of course are you still prepared to go through with it naturally
4: again we can't give up now fact that the professor's dead makes it even more urgent we must go through with our plans are we going to live otherwise i'm not afraid
1: oh my sweet courageous eileen what would i do without you very well we carry on we must make detailed plans this very day then all you have to do is trust me you do trust me don't you
2: with my life darling <laughs> Sherlock Holmes was not entirely satisfied by our visit to Hatchell, but he refused to discuss the matter. Although, much to my surprise, he insisted that we return two days later to attend the funeral. This time, we took the train down, and once again, it was a squally wet day. The service and burial was simple and mercifully short. A handful of people only left the churchyard in the soaking rain. Oh...
4: Oh, dear.
1: What a miserable affair. You really shouldn't have attended, darling. You should be home in bed. Don't you agree, Dr. Watson? You certainly seem
2: extremely unwell, Mrs. Roster. I should advise an immediate return home, a hot bath, and a few days in bed. You say you haven't a personal physician? No. No, but
4: it's all right. I'm sure it's nothing but a very bad cold.
2: Yes, well, you'd better not hang about in the rain. Good day to you,
3: Mrs. Watson. Good
4: day, Dr. Watson. Goodbye, Mr. Holmes. Good
3: day, Dr. Goodbye. Bye, Mr. Roster, Mrs. Roster. Uh, we'll be in touch. Yes. Uh you are Mr.
1: James Thompson of Half Moon Street, is that so?
3: Yes, that's right. And you are Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I'm sorry we've met under such bad circumstances. Are you returning to London? It's about the 12 10 train. Ah. Then perhaps we can travel together. I have a cab waiting in Church name to take me to the station. Oh, will you join me? Mm-hmm.
2: Our meeting with James Thompson had all happened so naturally that I couldn't believe it had been contrived and yet Sherlock Holmes with his usual diplomacy managed to get far more information out of the lawyer on our train journey home than I would have dreamed possible it was almost as though he'd arranged the whole thing oh
3: yes it was Dr. Roster who introduced me to the professor that was some time ago (laughs) that great tragedy uh, he's a very fine man and apparently a selfless worker he gave everything to science and well paid nothing out of his sad. you mean he had nothing to leave in his work not a penny the monsters will be able to take over the laboratory but uh, the debts incurred will use up any capital.
1: Uh, it seems that pure science is not a profitable occupation research, such as the professor and his assistants
3: do, should be conducted in some college or sponsored by a government organization. Yes, I've often suggested that, Roster, but, well, he seems to think that these experiments are of a special kind. He has a little money of his own, of course, but how long that'll last in these new circumstances, I don't know. He seems a very sensible young man. He must have some plans. If he has, I know nothing of them, Apart from an extraordinarily large life assurance policy upon his wife. Really. They seem to be drifting somewhat. Oh, but uh, I I shouldn't be discussing my client's health. Do forgive me. It's really done out of sheer concern. Of course, of course. Yes, I understand.
1: Well, one can only hope that the future is kind to both of them. Now, if you know my address, 221 B Baker Street, if there's anything I can do for you or the Rossiters in the future, please don't hesitate to call upon me, Mr. Thompson.
2: With that, Holmes retired behind his newspaper, and Thompson and I made small talk for the rest of the journey back to town. Once again, I forgot the affair completely. Until one morning, a week later. Ah, uh,
4: Mr. James, Thompson, to see you, Mr. Holmes says it's urgent. Oh, show
3: him in, Mrs. Hudson. Show him in at once. Oh. Pray do pardon this intrusion, Mr. Holmes. Uh, Dr. Watson, I have to call immediately. You will not have heard the terrible news. It's from Hat's End. Dr. Roster. His wife, Eileen. She has died. What? Good gracious, when did this happen? Yesterday evening. It seems that still she caught at the professor's funeral must have turned to pneumonia. After a short illness, she died at Harrow Lodge. I heard late last night. This is
1: a great tragedy, Thompson. Have you made
3: full inquiries? I mean who was the doctor i presume
1: they called one in.
3: yes a, a local man uh, there are only two in Hatton, and this fellow is cyrus mortimer they, he was too late to get eileen into hospital by the time he got to her bedside she was dead
1: Really, mr holmes
3: it does seem as though that place is doomed to tragedy
1: uh, how has russet taken it
3: i gather he's most upset he's coming here tomorrow to see if there's anything i can do but it's really rather a waste of time I thought you'd like to be told the news instead of reading about it in the obituary notices of the newspaper. Yes, yes, thank you for calling. It's good
1: of you. I think I shall send a wire of condolence straight away. Perhaps if Rossiter comes up to town, he will also call upon me. Or if it's not too much of an imposition, maybe I can join him at your chambers.
3: By all means. uh, It's most odd. I have the strangest feelings about these two deaths, Mr. Holmes. Uh, They're both from natural causes, of course, but I am disturbed about them. It, It makes me fear that... Well, that perhaps John Rossiter's own life may be in danger. I know it sounds absurd, but... Well, they say tragedy often strikes in threes, don't they? Well, I shall be at my offices all tomorrow morning. Rossiter is due at 11. Uh, Please feel free to join us at any time after that hour. And now I must go. there is much to be done. It's sad business. Yes, indeed, a sad business.
2: After James Thompson left us, Holmes sat for a long time in his chair by the fire his unlit pipe clenched in his teeth and the fingers of his thin hands placed
1: together he stared at the flames stirring himself only to say it's not often that i'm tempted to agree with another person's intuitions Watson. i'm a person who deals in facts only but i'm inclined to agree with thompson there's there's so much missing so much that cannot be explained Well." Meanwhile, I shall return to my animal studies on hibernation. Now,
2: Holmes, ever since the professor invited you to interest yourself in his experiments, you've become obsessed with the idea of suspended life. As a medical man, I'm used to seeing death as it really is. I can only say what I said in the beginning. It's a fantasy, and one far ahead of its time. Such things should be left alone, and that's that. Although I was quite dogmatic in my viewpoint... I still agreed to accompany Holmes the next morning to meet John Rossiter and give my condolences. Much to my surprise, Holmes appeared to be rather unsympathetic. He asked a great deal of questions that I personally
1: thought unnecessary. I do hope you have finished any business you've been discussing, Dr. Rossiter? Yes, yes, there, there isn't very much. just a question of money for the funeral. Two deaths in such a short time is a severe draining on my savings. Mr. Thompson has agreed to advance me a small loan upon my wife's life's policy. Ah, I see. Uh, When is the funeral to take place, may I inquire? In two days' time. Arrangements have been made with the same funeral parlour as before, but but Eileen is still lying at home back at Harrow Lodge. I simply haven't been able to say goodbye to her. It, It is weak of me, I know. Now, if you would excuse me, I really must be getting back there. Thank you for your condolences, and thank you for... Your financial support, Mr. Thompson, you will excuse me now, will you?
3: Yes, yes, of course.
1: I'll walk with you to the station, if I may, Dr. Rossiter. Yes, uh, of course. I come, you. I'll see you
3: out, gentlemen. If there is anything further I
2: can do, then
1: please call upon me, won't you? Good day to you. Oh, good day, Mr. Thompson. You, you must forgive me if I have seemed a little abrupt this morning, Dr. Rossiter. The fact is that I wished to ask you a few questions of a personal nature, not in front of Mr. Thompson. Oh, I'm, I'm afraid I'm rather too upset to concentrate greatly. Yeah. Can I not wait until some other time? I'd like to clarify a few things in my mind, and they may not be another time. It's regarding your work, or rather the work that Professor Althausen left unfinished. He invited me to share an interest in his experiments in suspended life. He said he would confide in me his results. He was sure that the theorem he had perfected would render a human being quite slightest, that he would be able to return life to them as a suitable antidote of another theorem. You must be familiar with his work, I think I've already told you, Mr. Holmes, that I was working under his instructions. I know nothing positive about his experiments. You do not propose to consider continuing work? I do not. And what is more, now that my wife is dead, I shall sell everything I possess and travel abroad. America, most likely. Now do excuse me. I have, I have nothing more to say. Good day to you. Goodbye, Dr. Watson. Goodbye. We shall not meet again. Say, Holmes, I've misused
2: you, The poor fellow's bereaved but a day, and you've upset such enormous. Yes. Yes, indeed
1: I have. What? 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 Gracious, what's this? Carriage and force out of control. Stand back, what that? I'm heading this way. What the devil? Rossiter's crossing the road.
3: Watch out, watch
2: out, watch out. It was all over so swiftly. The runaway horse and carriage knocked over John Rossiter. He disappeared under flying hooves and the heavy wheels. By the time the carriage had been stopped and order returned, I'd examined the body. But Rossiter was dead. He must have been killed. He was dead. Thompson. You're right. So was Thompson. It's a place where
1: death comes in three, wasn't it? I don't wish to appear heartless, but there's a great deal more at stake here than it appears. We must summon the police and leave this all to them. You and I are taking a four-wheeler and heading for Harrow Lodge. If my theory is correct, we may still be in time to prevent a third tragedy. Come along.
2: I couldn't think what Holmes had in mind. And as usual in these cases, he refused to elaborate. The cab was summoned, and the journey made to hatch end in record time. There, we pulled up in the driveway of the lodge. Holmes accosted an elderly gardener who is brushing away dead leaves in the porch you must let us into the house it's most urgent
1: you have a key I,
2: but i can't be letting you in not till the master comes your
1: master won't be coming back and it's important Aye. that we enter the house i am a private detective unknown to the police i insist that you let us in immediately well uh, this be most uh, irregular but if you promise not to touch anything i make no promises but i will take full responsibility hurry
2: man. hurry. Reluctantly. The old gardener unlocked the front door and Holmes immediately made his way to the professor's laboratory. I found the body of Eileen Rossiter laid out in a downstairs room. I examined her. She was dead all right. In less than five minutes, Holmes was back with me. He carried a doctor's bag in one hand and placing it
1: on the table said... I hope I'm right, Watson. I'm sure I am. Here, look at this. Now, see. This, the white fluid in the tube. And this, the hypodermic syringe. Now, here, this is more your job than mine. Inject this into a main artery. Holmes, are you serious? This woman's dead. She is not. She only appears to be. Use the syringe.
2: With trembling hands, I did as Holmes had ordered. I could not believe in this fantastic experiment. After the injection, we stood at the trestle table for what seemed like hours, before I noticed the color returning to the woman's cheeks shallow breathing started and gained in strength and eileen
1: rossiter was coming alive before our very eyes it's working watson and she will live after all you see well i do not doubt the professor's death is genuine the rossiters engineered this using the serum and antidote to render this woman certified as dead the plan being to claim the life insurance money and bring her back to life then leave the country to start anew somewhere else as you say it's unbelievable And an experiment that should never have been made. Poor woman. How she will start again after knowing of her husband's death, I can't imagine. But we've saved her life, Watson. She must make up her her own mind how she uses it. Poor soul.
2: Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage as Holmes and
1: Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watts.